Take off your clothes. I don't like women giving me orders. I spit on your grave. What you are about to see did happen. I spit on your grave. This woman will soon cut, chop, break, and burn five men beyond recognition. And there isn't a jury in this country that will convict her. No, not I spit on your grave. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. 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 Hi. Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. Dave and I went to see The Boogeyman last week. <laughs> Brand new Stephen King adaptations based on the short story, The Boogeyman, which you will find in the collection Night Shift, and which I think is my favorite Stephen King book, is the collection, the short story anthology Night Shift. It's got... It's like prime, to me, it's prime king, it's young king, it's less drug-addled king, and he doesn't have 700 pages. He gives you everything in his canon in short little bursts. So I was looking forward to this movie. Uh, it was uh, written by Beckin Woods, who wrote A Quiet Place, we talked about. They wrote Haunt, we talked about that. Directed by Rob Savage, who uh, directed Host. Um, I haven't seen Dashcam. So I had kind of high hopes. Um, they were not uh, They were not met. Mm-mm. Stinker. Yeah. Wow. I'm so bummed because I saw the trailer and was like, this is going to fuck. And then and then I read the texts from you guys, but I, I think it was like half asleep. And I'm like, oh, I oh, mean, they we, liked it. And it wasn't until Kevin was like, wait, are you guys trolling? Yeah, I was, I was like, oh, I was saying, man. this is my top five. Yeah. You got to go see it. I might go see it again tomorrow. <laughs> but I was just trolling everybody. Yeah. I, I wanted Kevin to like, I knew Kevin would like cancel meetings and like... <laughs> drop his kid off somewhere just to go see this thing if I really talked it up. But uh, no, it was a pure stinker. Uh, I was surprised at how all the, the cliches that were just so blatant in the whole story and everything was just, ugh. Bummer. There was really nothing good about it. I mean, the performances were okay. It's not like the acting was bad. It looked good, but just, I mean, the, the short story is really not enough for a feature, so they just take the kernel of the short story, which is so dark. Isn't it like 12 pages? Yeah, it's very short, and it's very evil. It's a great short story, and so they just kind of take the idea and then go, I don't know. It, it just reminded me of like um, a Blumhouse, you know, sinister or conjuring type of thing. I mean, not it, not nearly as good as any of those, but that kind of route with it. It was like the Poltergeist remake that I panned so hard. Ugh, yeah, well, that was That bad. kind of stuff, that kind of supernatural stupidness. I also just saw that um, Jeffrey Reddick, who wrote Final Destination, we just talked about, he has uh, his debut feature film as a director just came out. Are you going to tell us what it is? Yeah, it's called Don't Look Back. And uh, it's on Tubi, and it stars Jeremy Holm, who we talked about plays the ranger in The Ranger. Cool. He's he, Reddick has written a lot of stuff. Um, we talked about he. Did you know? I don't think we talked about Reddick wrote the um, 2009 Day of the Dead quote unquote remake. 
Oh, that's that a bad awful, one. Yeah, it's the worst that's thing ever. Really bad. He wrote that thing. Is that the one like Ving Rhames? And yeah, like, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so bad. Well, so I look bad. forward to rifling through one thousand movies called "Don't Look Back" to find this, <laughs> yeah. this movie. Well, it's out there this week. Time for a little R and R. We've talked about uh, a number of rape and revenge films on the podcast, but we have not talked about the big mommy. The rape and revenge film to rule them all, the most infamous, most controversial, I would say most maligned, and perhaps most misunderstood rape-revenge movie of all time, 1978's I Spit on Your Grave, a.k.a. Day of the Woman. You'll see it listed under each title. Um, Day of the Woman is actually the real title of this film, but we know it as I Spit on Your Grave, for my money, the greatest film title of all time. Mm -hmm. It's very good. It's a good title. I don't think there's a better title out there. That was actually come up with by the U.S. distributor of the film who signed an agreement with Mayor Zarki, who wrote, directed, uh, and edited the movie. They had a U.S. distribution deal in 1980 where Jerry Gross, who was a, a grindhouse distributor, he got to name, he got to rename the movie whatever he wanted, and Mayor Zarki had no say in it. And he brilliantly decided to call it I Spit on Your Grave, and that's when it took off. That's when it came under fire uh, from Siskel and Ebert, and there was a big protest campaign against this movie when it finally opened for real. People were uh, calling theaters and telling them to drop the movie. People were protesting outside theaters. Siskel and Ebert were raising a big storm. Ebert called it for many, many years, called it the worst movie he had ever seen. A, quote, vile bag of garbage. Ooh. The most depressing experience of his life, and so on. Well, yeah. Okay. This was even for me. I didn't see this. Uh, it it came out in '78 briefly, and then with a new title in 1980, and that's when it hit, and it hit VHS, and it had all the controversy. But I didn't see this until the aughts because I remember this on the video store shelf with that cover of Demi Moore. We we now know that is Demi Moore's bloody ass uh, on the cover of this movie. Holding oh, the it night. is yes. Oh, I didn't. Know I knew that. we were going to get Dave with that one. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> True, true story. That was rumored for many years, and Demi Moore confirmed it in her autobiography. She was very young, and she modeled for the cover of this movie. Um, I remember so well being at the video store, and I did not dare pick this movie up because I enjoyed pretty wide latitude parentally with what I wanted to rent. I rented whatever I wanted. I was not about to call myself into question by being like, hey, can I rent this movie with the bloody ass on the front? It's called I Spit on Your Grave. I guess it's about rape and stuff. So Sure, it, son. Yeah, I wasn't going to go there. And also, it just seemed like even even watching like Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead and trying to like push my boundaries, it honestly seemed too scary to me. Just looking at that cover, it's so gross and it's so sexual. It just looked like, even even as a kid, it looked like a snuff film or something. And the fact that the picture also, take, it's outside, like in the woods. There's something so scary about that. Like, this happens just outside. You know, it could be anywhere. I don't know. So I stayed away uh, from it until sometime in the early aughts. I finally saw it. Um, Got to admit, I was totally appalled the first time I saw this movie. Watching it again now, I mean... I love this film. It is an amazing movie. It's an amazing story behind the film. I've watched the documentary called Growing Up with I Spit on Your Grave, which is on Tubi. Highly recommend that documentary just as a, a chronicle of making indie horror films in the 70s. It's really, really good. Uh, Story-wise, not a lot to it. It's the story of Jennifer Hill's 
She's a young writer from New York City. She rents a cabin in the woods for the summer. She's going to spend the summer at the cabin writing. In a very short order, she is attacked by a group of local men, brutally raped, beaten, and left for dead. And then she sets about her revenge. That's pretty much it. Nothing else to it. Kat, what did you think of I Spit on Your Grave? I'm all about revenge. I'm a bridge burner. I never forget, etc. You never forget. I never forget. can testify to yeah, that. It's never. Thank you. However, the things that I had to endure in this movie to get this sweet, sweet revenge, would I say it was worth it? Probably not. I do think in order for you to appreciate the revenge that our main heroine enacts is important to see the horrors that she had to endure, for sure. However, just, ugh, just, it was a lot. I'm, is it, it's a we lot. We knew it was going to be a lot. It, it is a lot. I knew no going into it. it, it was going to be a lot. Yeah. I think um, we could have been, as the viewers, subjected to less intensity, violence, mm brutal brutal rape and still gotten the point right as to why she needed to cut dicks off and whatnot right. even her revenge was hard to watch yes it still includes sexual assault towards her she you know she even puts the, the revenge even the revenge yeah, yeah she puts yeah. herself in these positions to be assaulted more so she can you know get to the point where they're vulnerable enough to you know take them out so even watching the revenge wasn't as cool as I thought it would be, just because I was just like, oh, okay, so it's happening again for her. It was just, yeah, there are many, you know, there are many people that call this a feminist film, which I, I think is interesting. And I think that's because of the graphic violence that this woman, you know, bestows upon these people who have viciously violated her. And I think... Also, because we often don't see women commit such violence, especially in this time period. You didn't see women, you know, hanging men up. Right, right. No. axing them and all that. Even we talked about Last House on the Left, Mm -hmm. and I don't think you were here. We talked about House on the Edge of the Park. Even those are like secondhand rape revenge. They don't- Someone's doing it for you. Yeah, yeah. No, she was just like absolutely there for it. So I guess in that instance, sure. This could be a feminist kind of a thing. But I don't know. I feel like this film, feminist or not, makes most women probably crawl in their skin trying to watch it. So I wouldn't say I had a good time watching this film. Do I think it's an important film in horror history? Absolutely. Sure it is. I think it kind of kick-started, you know, the whole women taking back what was taken from them. Yes. But... I wouldn't say that the uh, the ends justify the means in this one for me. Fair. That's all. I'm with you, Trent. This is one for, as legendary as it is, I stayed away from it for a long time. Maybe even longer. I honestly may not have seen this movie until the remake came out. 2010. And that was a little more accessible. Yeah. It, it, not, yeah. not the film itself. It's actually like they delve into like even torture porn and like stuff that the was revenge, going on it's much more of a revenge film i think this one i stayed away from 
because I had seen Last House on the left and it made me really uncomfortable. I did not enjoy that. I don't know when the remake of that came out, but I had no interest in seeing it. And then Deliverance. Uh, I think you, to your point, like the woods and the the bloody cover and everything, I was scary. just like, don't need to see this. Yeah. Not even necessarily scary, just like, I don't want to feel icky. Yeah. It's This movie it just is looks less icky. scary yeah. than it is just icky. Yeah. And I mean, to Kat's point, like what you have to watch, you know, we talked about Irreversible and there's that like 10 minute no break, you know, single shot rape scene in Irreversible. This one is like 25 minutes of the movie is the initial rape sequence. Right. But unlike Irreversible, it's not like a, you know, a single shot where you you're just like, "Holy, when is this going to end?" When is, this this is almost worse because it's like different settings, different scenarios. Zarki makes you think that they're done. And now, okay, she's crawling away now. There's, he just takes all of the hope out of you yeah. for 20 plus minutes. And it is kind of a tough adjustment to just like turn that off and then start cheering, I guess, for yeah. her to now start getting the, the quote unquote revenge. Right. And to your point, Kat, like some of the decisions that she makes to enact the revenge. I, I'm not blaming her at all, but like a huge part of the controversy of this movie is that people were shaming her and saying, oh my God, like why would she, bl basically blaming her further for some of the things that she did to kind of lull these guys into a false sense of security to then fucking kill them. So I guess I'm just copying casting. It's It's a really difficult watch. I will... I will put it in its place in terms of like the annals of, of horror cinema or shock cinema, whatever genre you want to put this into. It does have its place. It has sparked a lot of conversation. And it is a well-done film. I think uh, the, the documentary that you were talking about, Trent, it is worth a watch, even if it's kind of like heavy on the fast-forward button. It's worth a watch because it does really get you more into the mindset of Zarki. I think, you know, later one of us is going to have to tell the story of, of the true story that inspired this movie, which is right. more heartbreaking than the film itself. And unfortunately, something that happened in the 70s that's still happening today. But this one, it's up there. It sparked a conversation. Anytime Ebert says that something's a vile piece of garbage, <laughs> I'm going to watch I'm there, it. I'm there. And, and Ebert honestly did this film the biggest favor yes. that any shitty Ebert review has ever done any movie Classic Streisand effect. He got it. You know, he's out there like today's Republican Party, just canceling everything, getting books banned and shit. And guess what? Woo. Everybody wants to see it. So he got it pulled from a bunch of theaters. But then guess what? This thing made fucking millions on VHS. So. Right. Nice job, Ebert. Rest in peace. But also, fuck you for a lot of the shitty reviews you gave. Dave, go. <laughs> Shout out VHS. Woo. Um, I definitely saw this in the 80s. Oh, you did? Yes, uh. I did. And I didn't remember Are you okay? details. <laughs> Of it, but I remember. <laughs> I remember I didn't want to see it again. I just remember, like, okay, I saw that. That's what that was. That's why uh, everyone's talking under their breath about this movie, and it's like this like taboo thing. Authors out there, just write your book in the city. It doesn't work <laughs> out. Um, this is a grindhouse classic. Like you guys mentioned, it kind of feels like it's riffing off Last House on the Left and, and Deliverance, which, which both preceded this and i love like 70s movies but i actually put on a 70s movie last night 
Uh, it's going to sound like I'm going to a total different review, but there's a there's a point I want to make here. It's called High Plains Drifter, and it was a Clint Eastwood Western. And I put it on, and it's from 1972. And the opening scene, he rolls into town, and he rapes this woman. But there's this like jovial music, and everyone's laughing. And the rest of the movie, she's like popping out of a barrel, trying to kill him the whole time because he raped her. But it was like the most tone deaf thing I'd ever seen. Uh, and it was just like, oh, the hysterical woman. It was like a, com- a comedic element to this western. And I just thought how strange that was. And then you take this in 78, flipping that and showing graphically, really just rudely in your face uh, portrayal. I do agree that it's too much. But I'd like to do a rundown. Uh, There's a guy in jeans and an American striped suspenders. Like uh, that's all he has on is just suspenders. Mm -hmm. A guy who looks like a train conductor. He's a mechanic. Right, he's the leader uh, of the pack, Johnny. Yeah, kind of reminded me of the last house on the left guy. Krug, yeah, very Krug. Uh, a guy yeah. I called Bart Reynolds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was like Bart Reynolds without a mustache, and he was a, like not quite as thick. And then there's uh, Matthew, who looks exactly like Michael Sarah as Gilligan on Gilligan's <laughs> Island. The soundtrack is only live performed harmonica, which is like yeah. I hate harmonica. It's my least favorite <laughs> instrument, and. <laughs> That was even more jarring for me watching this. Uh, I was really surprised that there's no music in this the whole time. Yeah. So I watched it with a friend this morning, which is not not a great movie to watch. Throw on a party or watch with a friend. Any of my friends to watch this movie. Um, And I just threw it on. Trent. uh, So I was like, oh, I got to get this in, and I've really been putting off watching it again. And I watched it with ads. And these Gillette pubic hair razor ads kept coming up in between all the bush. And then and then there was also a credit card commercial that was like encouraging like a quiet getaway to nature because you oh, deserve no! it. <laughs> oh, my God. And we were just laughing about that. My favorite line in this was, you came super fast, Matthew. Uh, the guy that couldn't but, get it up then- when he was raping her. Uh, shows up to his demise um i I did like the kills a little bit more than i remembered the the sequels and the remakes and all that stuff have kind of like final destination been a thing that's more about the kills yes and it's got less rapey they get that over with and they just do these creative kills this uh a girl with a certain skill set kind of thing so i like this a little bit more than than that kind of schlockiness me too yeah uh this is really dirty and grimy yeah i was one of the things i was thinking about watching this now is the amount of rape revenge vigilante man movies that were coming around at this time in the 70s and the 80s death wish charles bronson dirty harry exterminator we've talked about that whole genre before all about taking the law into your own hands the system fails you and one man decides to you know you never saw that with a woman until i spit on your grave and i would say you didn't really see that much even after that with a woman unless you're talking about horror movies and like the final girl trope that began around this time i actually think it was more abundant in the grindhouse scene i, I yeah. feel like there were yeah. some like badass auntie movies yeah and yeah. Like, uh, like the whole like the subgenre black of like prison like women prisons had his own yep. like grindhouse like exploitation sub- exactly Pam, Pam Greer. Yeah. yeah that was where that's kind of where that whole idea came from so i i thought that was interesting and the score 
not being scored is, I think, one of the most effective things about the movie. And in the documentary, um, Zarki talks about having edited this movie for over a year. After filming was done, he said 14, 15 months they spent editing this movie. And he talked about how he would go in with stacks of music, all kinds of different stuff. And he would try this and he would try that. And just nothing, everything he tried seemed to just not work and take away from it. And so they decided, well, you know, let's just not score it. Let's just have no music at all because everything we try is taking away from it. And like you said, the harmonica that one of the attackers plays, it is so scary. It's like the banjo in Deliverance. You know, you hear that harmonica. It's like, God damn. Even during the attack scenes, you're just hearing like the birds chirping. It's it's really like unrelenting silence. There's like the church organ in that one quick scene. Played like by Marisarki. But I mean, it organist. makes it more realistic. I mean, yes. if you were to have this happen to you in real life, like our life doesn't have a soundtrack. Yes. I've got some music playing in my head right now. I'm just trying to drown out thinking about this movie. I, there's a couple things that kind of stick out to me when it comes to like the group, I guess. It just see... I, the I pack, don't know, the, the pack, pack dynamic. Yeah. yeah, it just... There's something about it that seems so... Com- like, not commonplace is the wrong word, but it just seems so natural for this group of guys to be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, let's do that. Let's, you know, rape this woman and just leave her for dead or murder her or whatever. It just seems like so natural to, to kind of do that. And that kind of, you don't know, it fucks you up a little bit. But then it also gets to that point where, you know, we've we've gone past her being left for dead. Now she's on to her revenge. And then you find out the leader of the pack, Johnny, he's got a whole fucking family. He's got kids right. and a wife. And he's like, don't kill me. I have a family. And it's like, what the? F- OK, so. But this just yeah. like seems natural to you. So it's just kind of that thing. And then you think forward to. You know, in my brain, it's kind of like, you know, the ending of the movie of the final girl. It's like, well, how is she going to explain this to the police? You know, that kind of that kind of moment where how is she going to explain this away without going to prison? And I thought about, you know, cops like finding all these dead bodies around. But it's like, what was her other option? She's going to go to the police and be like, hey, these men gang raped me multiple times. Nothing. They're going to be like, but what did you do? And then that's when fucking Johnny's like, you were out in your bikini laying in nature or you were out in the, you were showing in me your all boat. Your, you were showing me your legs and you were making yeah. it known that you were walking you know. slow. So it's just, I don't Classic, know. Like asking for it. Yeah. And so, and of course we always come back to that. Well, she was asking for every, it's the common theme in any rape film, rape revenge film. Well, that that's what you're talking about. That, that was, According to Zarki uh, and his friend and his daughter, that was the impetus for the film. Uh, there was an incident, it was like 74, I think 75, where um, Zarki was out with his friend and his daughter. They were going going through the park, driving through, and a young woman actually appeared out of the bushes naked and bloody and brutalized, and they stopped and picked her up, and she said that she'd been attacked and raped in the park, and they brought her to the police station, and Zarki said that 
the treatment that she received at the police station was so horrifying and appalling that the cops just basically started interrogating her as though she was the perpetrator of a crime and not a victim that she was, I think, I think that she said she had a broken jaw. I mean, she was really beat up. Yeah. They were trying to make her and, give uh, her full name and she could barely talk. Right. And they were saying, what, why were you in the park? Where were you going? You know, just like what you're talking about. This is immediately accusatory of the victim and, and Zarki has said that they had to insist that the police call an ambulance and get her to a hospital and like stop this uh, interrogation. So that was sort of the, the impetus of the film. And he started thinking about, well, what really should happen since the justice system just fails people, fails victims like the minute they show up to report what should really happen is that these guys should have their dicks cut off. And, you yes. know, what, what would real revenge be? What would real justice be? And so that's kind of where he got the idea for the movie. I will say it was pretty intense to watch a man get his dick cut off. <laughs> Not that we haven't seen, but always satisfying. No, but it, he didn't even <laughs> yeah. feel it. He didn't even feel it. It's like, hurt so good or something. I'm, he said, yeah, he's like, yeah, oh, it feels it, so nice. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, he's like, it feels so good. It, it's painful. It's too good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was very intense. The, the pack mentality is interesting. You bring up a good point because there isn't a conversation that happens. There isn't even like a wink, wink, no. nod, nod. It just happens very naturally. It just happens. Yeah. And the Matthew character, Gilligan, that you guys are talking about, for some reason, and maybe it's just like now that these movies are being, you know, redone and they're in HD and they, you know, lose some of that like 70s grimy. Totally. Like, yeah. We're watching it on, on like Plex or something now. I, it, I think and it yeah. looks like shit on here. It looks better. You know, there's different versions that you can Tubi, watch. I watched it on Tubi and it looked a little more grainy. Like it had yeah. a little bit more of the faithful transfer. But for whatever reason, the Matthew character struck me as like incredibly modern. He, he is, For like a 1978 yeah. movie, when Matthew yeah. comes in, I'm like, that dude rolls into like current movies that I watch. Yeah, he, he's, it's weird because they're supposed to be in the country and they're talking about how the city is evil and city girls are promiscuous. It's almost like a, a, a exploitation type of thing. But th then this guy shows up who is just, he's a New York Woody Allen type of guy. Like, I, I don't, it doesn't make any but sense. But he's also he, like, he, he's a little slow. Like they give, they yeah, give the understanding yeah. that Matthew. He's developmentally. Yeah, he's yeah. not quite, you know. He's not there. Mature yeah. for his age. Uh, and he's definitely taken advantage of. But his character really threw me off, like wearing like the bucket hat and like <laughs> all this so stuff. Weird. And like, yeah. it was yeah. really bizarre. Gilligan. I will say the first initial rape happens. And you're like, cool, got that out of the way. And then she's wandering through the woods and she's like trying to find her way back home. And then she stumbles into this campsite. but And I saw this look on her face and I was like, she's about to fucking destroy this guy. Nope. Fucking harmonica suspenders guy. Round two. And that's kind of when I was like, okay, I've had it with the, with the intensity because that's when it kind of got amped up. Yes. I would say turned up to 11 yep. for the assault um, situation. And then it happens again. Yeah. For a third time, she finally gets, like, they leave her for dead, you think. Then she gets home, and she is finally trying to call the police, and they're like, psych. That's the most painful scene that in the movie for me. absolutely. It was. Oh. So very, it, very long, drawn-out shot of oh her crawling my. towards the phone. It bru right. So it brutalizes you Just over twice. and over. Like, first Three, time, you're like, times. man, that sucked. And then you're like, but, you know, she's get she's going to, whew. I heard this was a revenge movie. I can't wait. <laughs> Um, nope. And then they do, they, you know, destroy her again. And I was like, whew, okay, well, at least now she's got it. Nope. And then 
and then I guess it's up. It just from goes there. on and on. It's just again, it's just a, yeah. it's a, it's a bit much. I was really confused and kind of impressed with the actress uh, is married to the director and writer. Camille Keaton plays Jennifer Hills, and uh, shortly after filming. She married Marisarki, the yeah. It's kind of like the uh, was it was it Ms. Quigley that that married the guy that kept doing like plaster casts of her boobs. Yeah, yeah. And, so nothing um, like finding what? a wife, making her get raped a bunch in a movie to get right. her to fall in love with you. And Sarki was married at the time. His kids were in the movie. His wife is in the movie briefly in the grocery store scene. So it seems there was in uh, actually his son and daughter talk about it a little bit in the doc. Obviously there was some infidelity going on on the set, and then right after the movie. Camille and Zarki were married a short time and they divorced, but she is back in the latest version of this. So I think from 2019 is called I spit on your grave deja vu. And they bring back Camille Keaton. It's the first sequel to be directed by Zarki again. He produced the remakes, but I haven't seen that, but she's, she is back for more. And she, I mean, her performance, Camille Keaton really is amazing in this. She, she really is. The, I, I actually think it's, pretty well acted all around for a bunch of amateurs handed this kind of material. And it's really funny uh, when you watch the doc, they talk to uh, most of the actors. They talk to Johnny, the leader of the pack and Andy, the suspenders guy. And they talk to Camille and everybody in the movie, nobody thought they were making an exploitation film. Certainly they didn't think they were making a horror film. They all were approaching it like a very serious sociopolitical statement and it's funny listening to them all talk about when the, the first time they heard that it was going to be retitled, I spit on your grave. And they all just talk about like their heart sank. Aww. They were like, what? <laughs> we thought we made this very serious film. And oh, this is just like drive in gutter trash. Now we're going to be marketed as an exploitation film. And the guy that plays Johnny um, talks about he got out of acting after this. It just turned him off. He was just disgust. He said it was it was different when they filmed it. And then when he saw it. He just thought, like, this is not what I, what I yeah, want. Yeah, that guy could be. What did he think? He, he says that he took the role because it's it's the complete opposite of the kind of, of person he is. he is. Right. And the documentary really drives that home. Like, this guy, guy, he looks like he'd be teaching history. And he's like a like Mennonite. He's very religious kids. now. He he said he regrets it. Yeah. What? Are, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Filming this, what did you think it was going to be well, like? You ha I think it, I thought that was interesting. I think you have to understand that when you're on set, you know, they're filming hours and hours and hours of footage and they're all in it together and everybody everybody in the doc, they all seem very nice and they all like compliment each other and said everybody had a great time doing this. And so I think you're there and you're doing these scenes and you're taking it very seriously or you think you're acting and you're doing something that's making a statement and and then, you know, you see it edited and you see yourself as this person and you see this new title and you see where it's being marketed and you think, well, this isn't really what we thought we were doing out there. Um, I liked uh, Andy's perspective, the suspenders guy. He he talks in the doc about how he he says, you know, I I never I never fulfilled my ambitions in acting. I never went anywhere. I never did anything. But I can always say I was part of one of the you know most famous cult films of all time, and not many people can say that. So you know, he had good memories of it. I was trying to explain to Matt. Uh, my friend that watched this today, uh, I was like, that you know, some of these sets for these movies that are incredibly disturbing, you have to remember it's a movie. These people are probably joking around on set exactly. and stuff in between. And exactly. they're probably getting way into the, the artistic side of it and they're yes. brainstorming. They're all firing. Like, you know what I mean? They're, it's a performance. Exactly. And we forget that when it's this r super realistic stuff. Yeah. 
yeah, John, actually the guy that plays Johnny that said he, he regretted it, he talks in the doc about how he did an extensive backstory for his character who was in Nam and all this stuff. I mean, really? <laughs> I seriously? Like, really? I don't care. He, they, did their own, they did their own wardrobes and stuff. He talks about how he chose all the pieces of his wardrobe. And uh, also, no stunts in this, no stunt doubles. Everyone in this did everything. Camille Keaton drove that boat all the crazy boat stunts and stuff when she's trying to run over the guys and she's speeding through the lake and you know the boat is like the front end is way up she's getting dragged by the yeah yeah, the speed yeah that's boat that's all real they built a raft they were out there on this big raft and there's pictures of it where they could film the boats from you know being right next to the boats and she just had to learn how to operate that boat she'd never done it and she well, suspenders guy set. taught her right yes he, yeah he yeah. he's the only one you see driving the boat from the pack right and then he, and taught, he her. taught her because yeah. he was the only one that knew how to to drive a boat yeah it's really amazing and and they talk about, you know, this was totally self-financed. Um, Zarki and, and a couple of friends put together the money. And they talk about having all these volunteers that they just put ads out. And they were people showing up to the set. And they were just showing them, here's how you operate a camera. Here's how you do lights. Like, you know, this is what it is. Just do this. Um, all the actors were gotten through, like, trade paper ads. Like, you know, traditional old Hollywood trade papers. They just put out an ad and they show up. Well, it was, filmed, it was filmed in Kent, Connecticut. Yeah. And am I totally making this up that they went they went back for the 2019 movie yeah. to Kent, but didn't they also film Friday the 13th here? Parts of part two. The sequels, just briefly, I mean, the 2010 sequel. Um, remake? The remake. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's actually, it's got some really good acting, and I think the performances are very good, particularly the... The assaulters are better, um, and it looks great, but it's just kind of, it's like the Last House on the Left remake. It just, to me, without that 70s, without that exploitation, that cheap feel, like it's it's just, it doesn't really need to be there. It's fine. There's another one after that, and then there's the Deja Vu. Um, I don't really think, if you've never seen this, just watch the original the remakes really, I don't think. Just imagine sitting and watching this whole franchise. <laughs> I can't do it. it. Would be well, there's, so there's the remake is there's three. <laughs> right. The remake's 2010. Then they did a part two a with part a two different actress. Yes. And it's not a continuation of the first. Revenge remake. is mine or something. And then they yeah. did like Vengeance is mine or something like that. Right. Which is the third one, which brings back the actress from the 2010 remake. Right. Right. And then I did watch. The, I did watch them all. It was, oh, you you've watched them all. Yeah, like I think, I, honestly, I think I didn't watch this until that remake came out. Wow. And then whatever streaming service it was on would have just been like feeding that. And I was just like, okay, where can they possibly go with this? <laughs> Nowhere. I mean, yeah. it's I mean just, I'm with Dave. I wasn't kill, looking forward to kill, watching this kill, again, and I'll never kill. watch those There's, again. You, you kind of get it one time is enough for me. Gee, what are they going to do? <laughs> I wonder what happens next. <laughs> Draw the cat eyes sharp enough to kill Despicable. a man. Did some bad things, but I'm the worst of them. Sometimes I wonder which one will be your last lie. They say looks can kill, and I might try. Okay, my second pick for R and R week is a film from 2020 called Violation. This is on Shutter right now or VOD. It's written and directed by a team, Madeline Sims Fewer and Dustin Mancinelli. Um, they're known primarily for making a ton of acclaimed and award-winning short films. And not only did they collaborate on both the writing and directing, um, but Madeline Sims Fewer plays the lead role of Miriam. This is a much, much different rape revenge movie 
than I Spit on Your Grave, and I think much different than any of the Rape Revenge movies that we've talked about. Um, That's one of the reasons I thought we should hit this one this week. This is the story of Miriam. She is uh, traveling home to meet up with her sister. She's with her husband or boyfriend, unclear, and she's meeting her sister and her sister's husband at, uh, once again, a cabin in the woods. Miriam is eventually raped by her brother-in-law, and she tells her sister about what happened. This movie reminds me quite a bit of Irreversible because the timeline is very skewed in this movie. It jumps back and forth. It gets kind of confusing. This is one of those movies like Irreversible where it shows you the revenge first and you don't really know what's going on. And then you see what the revenge was for. So this really kind of turns, I think, the whole sort of genre on its head a little bit. And it presents a bunch of different angles and um, perspectives and perceptions. It plays with what's going on the whole time. Totally different ball game. I really like this one. I think this is really good, and I think it's a really good counterweight to some of the more straight-ahead um, rape-revenge stuff that we've talked about. I highly recommend this one. I saw this probably six months ago for the first time, and the first thing that stuck out was the giant erect penis i can't stop it's to me it's just oh just say it's the hard dick movie because yeah besides for porn you don't see hard dicks in That's movies all said. the time when i said violation you said oh the one with a giant hard dick all through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and i even that uh about this movie is unsettling and throws you off balance you guys might not know this but the films that you guys curate for our show are played in the background during my sessions here at the studio when people come in. Uh, so it just wow. seemed like all week, it was just like big hard dicks at the studio all week. Every time we'd be looking at You the, can't blame us for that. Trying to sing okay. a falsetto backing vocal and there's a big giant dick on the screen. <laughs> it's like, so it worked. We got uh, some great performances this week. Uh, <laughs> I'm so confused about what this movie wants from me and what <laughs> uh, what I'm like it diverts your your expectations and it makes you question things and on both sides of everything and I I like that a lot about this and almost has like a meat and potatoes midsummer kind of thing going on there's also a sibling thing and you start to really question motives and what's really happening and there's a lot of weird like voiceover whispering stuff that you don't know what's happening and what is a certain character's perception of what's happening the second half of this or like the third act on is super brutal Uh, i thought i was pretty impressed with how quickly uh all that stuff devolves into craziness i love her disposal (laughs) and all that stuff and of course the last scene which we'll talk about I always wonder, like, watching both of these, like, when all these questions are raised, it makes you wonder, like, the movie always ends at a certain point, but what would happen uh, if these were tried and they were in front of a jury on either one? Because a lot of movies end like that. You, Oh, they killed everybody uh, because they had a chainsaw. Well, maybe that guy's in the right because of the justice system in this area. And maybe, you know, it seems like completely preposterous. But I liked that this movie raised these questions. I liked the 
Big hard dick. Let's go, dicks. Free the <laughs> penis. Yeah. Free the penis. Reminds um, me of when, when we watched Grotesque, and you're like, I just realized that I really like torture. <laughs> this, is, this, this, is that, this does that for dicks. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't too big. It wasn't too small. It was. Dave said he falls in love with somebody every week. I think it's something. <laughs> this week was hard. This week was hard. Woo! I, whoa. whoa. Hello. Oh, I did Daddy of the week. It's hard to find someone to fall in love with this week. You found something to fall in love with. I agree with you. Both movies, I had the same thought. Like, what happens at the end? Because I spit on your grave. She's just driving away on a boat. Right. Where are you going? What are you going to do? Right. This now one, kind of the same the thing. Sheriff. Like, this made me, you know, probably I'm going to put ice cream on the back burner for a while <laughs> after this movie. But even like films like uh, a little more lighthearted, like Ready or Not, you know, when the whole mansion's burning down. And, you cook and your ice cream? She, she, I do not <laughs> cook okay, my okay, ice cream. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it, it got me thinking about a lot of the movies where like they end, you know, and you're supposed to have like this, like, I don't think it's uplifting. That's, a, that's the wrong word that I'm searching for. Not this one. But sort of like a, a comeuppance, if you will. Right. But there's like there's no kind of like I want I guess maybe I watch too much Law and Order like I want to see the all right now bring in the prosecutor and now bring in the defense. Uh, this is a much different movie, although definitely heavily inspired by I Spit on Your Grave in some ways. But I do think that this one is much more ambiguous in terms of what you're supposed to think about who was in the right, who was in the wrong. I think it definitely plays a lot more to the real life story in I Spit on Your Grave. Cat's already mad at me. I don't know. <laughs> Can't wait for this. I've got some questions. <laughs> well, I, I think what? that I think I think narration, the reliability of a narrator. I'm sure. not saying okay. that, that, that the act okay. itself okay. that leads for... to everything, yeah. but I'm saying the reliability of all narrators involved. Very much in question. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it does. It can lead to a. It, I Spit on Your Grave is very fucking cut and dry. There's no ambiguity at all in that movie. No. Right. This one, a little more subtle. And to Dave's point, like, there's a, so, so many different elements. There's Miriam, who is our, our, our victim, and she's also got the, the failing relationship with her husband. She has obviously a really difficult relationship with her younger sister and then they even bring in the two sisters relationship with their dad yep. and their entire upbringing where Miriam is supposedly this white knight right. for her sister right she's been getting she's been big on revenge for her whole life yes for other people exactly hand revenge so that's what i'm getting at with like the reliability of the narration is at the end of this you could sit down and have a pretty spirited debate on whether that was revenge for her is she doing everything for herself i think that's a question yep that's being brought up by this movie but this is a great one i, I do remember when this came out on shutter in 2021 you could poke some holes in it it does sure. it does flail around with its message i think yep uh but overall fantastic effort and and again really great performances from a very small cast i really enjoyed all the uh predatory animal images that came through it that 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 was one of the things that yeah. they used to create that doubt yeah <laughs> no it's fine dave's just trying to save me from whatever has <laughs> been glaring at me for like two and a half straight i'm not minutes. glaring i'm just looking into the void at this that's point. just how she looks this is just how i look not usually resting glare face <laughs> yeah 
this one was a lot. This one was also a lot, if yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah. Equally as fucked up, but in a different way, which is always great to just mix it up. It uses, you know, the power of manipulation to really get under your skin. Like you said, very cut and dry, spit on your grave. You're like, those guys suck. In this one, it's just the very um, promising young woman kind of vibe, you know, where it's like, I didn't do anything wrong. What do you mean? You? It's, it's, a da- it's more of a date it's rape It's a date situation. rape situation yeah. for sure. And so they don't know that they're monsters. You know what I mean? Like it's that moment where it's like they think that they're... But also, I'm contradicting myself because in what way do you not know that you're the fucking bad guy in this situation? So you can't really make excuses for these people. You can't really say, I don't know, I think in this I can trust the narrator in this this telling of this story because we've seen it a thousand times before in real life, in film. It is very intense to watch. It's very intense intense to dissect with you guys to be honest i had some weepy moments watching this movie i had some some teary kind of things mostly when they like start talking like the sisters are like kind of having like heart to hearts i'm like okay well this is kind of sad like you know but then it's the whole you don't believe me like i'm trying to confide in you and miriam tells her sister what happened oh my god that scene is just she's trying to tell and she's like fuck you Right. You know, kind of. I a knew thing. I couldn't trust you. That oh I think oh that's really what got so me brutal. when <laughs> when she said that. I was like, uh, you know, because I'm very close with my sister, and you know, if I I know if I confided in her something like this, and she reacted that way, that would just be the end for me. Like it would just, I would just sink with my pool noodle or whatever um, out in the lake. But it's a very interesting story to watch, though. I didn't really think it was very confusing. I liked all the jumps yeah me too i I like that yeah yeah, you you see it right at the beginning at first i was like oh who's with who you know you know kind of confusing a little bit yeah especially when like miriam's like walking with uh dylan yeah through the woods woods, and i'm like oh are they and then i you know you listen to the dialogue and you're like oh no they're just like childhood friends yes Um, so it's a little confusing there but then when you start to kind of follow the jumps it gets super interesting and you kind of figure things out and you're kind of waiting for the next clue as to what right. happened. Right. Because it goes into that cabin scene where Miriam's with Dylan stabbing cabin. And you're like, "Oh, wait, what happened? Oh, are they like a couple all of it a totally sudden?" Totally fooled me the first time. Absolutely. And I was like, yeah. "Oh shit, okay." And then conk oh. right on the head and I was like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> I will say, though, all that aside, the most beautiful penis <laughs> I have ever seen in a horror Let's film. Give it a, uh, what a calling card for this young actor. 10 out of 10. 10 wow. out of 10 you know, he to hasn't this been penis. In much. He's been in, this is a Canadian production, and Whew. he's been in some Canadian stuff. Nothing that we would know. No. What a calling card for I, this man. I know you guys said <laughs> there would be a penis in it, and I was like, yeah. Okay, well, we've all seen a penis, guys. And then... That thing came out, <laughs> and it was. Uh, there's just. I felt like there was an aura around it. It was just like a halo. <laughs> like angels were singing when it came out, um, because the. I feel like the penises I'm used to seeing in these films are just like sad, yes, dingy penises. Yes, often you know? flaccid. Yeah, almost not great. That's the yeah. thing. It's almost heroic. It's, That's it's, I was. It saved the movie for me. Honestly, it was just so strong. <laughs> 
and and then he started talking about it and i was like whoo oh no i had to honestly when he started talking about his penis i had to fast forward because i was like i don't want to get worked up and then see what i'm about to see um because it happens before the you know the yeah, because ra- you rape. see this first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Caitlin's in um, Studio B. I told her when the penis comes on that I'll alert her. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to do yeah. some sort of like a... Throw something at her. Yeah. <laughs> Caca! We'll could call her. Um, but Peter anyway... Um, sorry, I got distracted thinking about it. I don't blame um, you. I, <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's hard. A lot of things are hard in this movie. Woo! Oh, no pun intended. God. With that beautiful penis, because it's so intense, the rest of the movie's so intense that yeah. it, I wouldn't say it saved my emotions. It was a hard watch. I I don't really know if I want to watch it again, but I think I do, because it really was a, and especially now with like all the jumping, um, like scene jumping, and I know what happened, yeah. I think it would be a, a good second watch. And it honestly, is. the 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 actors are very oh, so good. good in so this good. movie, so... That that was one big thing about this. I thought the performances at no time during this entire movie, and it's it's an hour and forty minutes, forty five minutes. At no time do you even like think you're watching a movie. It, the, the the disbelief suspension is complete throughout because the actors are so good and it's shot beautifully. It looks so good. You just you think you're there. Like this is all real. Yeah, it's I was really, gonna say you, it's you really feel happening. Like you're hanging out with them and yeah, you never feel like um, nothing takes you out of it. You never think I'm watching a movie. I loved all the wildlife, like you talked about, Dave. The black wolf or the dog and all the insects reminded me very Lars von Trier. Reminded me of Antichrist. Even um, uh, Angel's Melancholy. All the insects and stuff reminded yeah. me of that. Uh, as far as the, I wanted to mention you guys talking about what happens after the movie ends in this movie. I think that Miriam is the perfect serial killer. You know, we watched uh, Poughkeepsie tapes and they talk about uh, organized killers and disorganized killers. Miriam is an organized fucking killer. She is amazing. And I think the the way she disposed of this body, she she is clear, man. They're mm. never going to trace it back to her. No, but I mean, and Dave talked about how surprised he was at the brutality of kind of like the third act. And you're talking about her being very organized. But I think... What makes all of that work is her performance and the vulnerability that she, she still shows yes. when she's doing all of these horrific yes. things. She can hardly do it's it. It's not like a, a switch was flipped and now she mm-hmm. is just like cold-blooded and just very, all right, I'm going to take out the playbook. You watch her struggle to do what she has yes. obviously set her mind to do. Yes. But it's not clinical in any way, shape, or form. Like, there's a lot of emotion there to kind of keep you invested in that. And again, to kind of keep you guessing about what is going through her fucking brain right now. Yeah. I loved and hated the scene where the she drains the body of blood. So she's got the body hung up upside down, slits the throat drains it like a hog into a cooler, which she's then going to drain from the cooler into a bunch of empty bottles of laundry detergent or whatever. She's got this thing set up. It's She's got a, a tarp spread out. But there's that scene where the blood is draining and she can't stop throwing up. And she's on all fours next to the body draining blood and she's puking. Oh, not once, not twice, three times. And it shows, it's very realistic. I had to look away. This is a rare wow. film that I could not watch all the puking and the sounds 
the sound of the blood dripping and her puking and you look up and you see all the yellow puddles. Oh my God. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. Uh, good job. I, I looked away and I that's that's wow. a real, you wow. know. <laughs> Did she put the ashes of this man into the ice cream that was then fed to his family? She yes. sure did. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what happened. It wasn't, it wasn't even the ashes. It was his ground up bones. Oh, man. I just realized that on the rewatch. <laughs> bones and all. When she takes out the powder, I'm like, wait That's a right. second. <gasps> you almost yeah, that, wouldn't that notice it. It's like very quick. French vanilla flavoring. Kind. Right. Mm. They show that first, and they just show her real quick take out this jar while she's at the kind of, you don't know what's going on. Later, you realize this ice cream, this is some Ben and Jerry's uh, Bone and Thug and Harmony flavor. <laughs> I thought, Kevin, you mentioned something about some of the ambiguities in this movie, and and there are many. Uh, The first time I saw this, I remembered it being more ambiguous than it really is. It does a really good job of throwing you because of the way the timeline is chopped up and because of the way Miriam goes about her revenge because of the rape scene, the way that the, that it's filmed, the way that it's shown in those ultra close-ups, it's kind of confusing. It's hard to tell what's going on. While the revenge is brightly lit in the cabin, you see every single detail of the revenge, but the actual rape is much hazier, like they're both drunk and it's shot that way. They're by the fire. I remembered it being more ambiguous and watching it now, I think that I was tricked by the film. I think that I was actually drawn into the the trickery of the fucking attacker when they're talking about it afterwards and he's saying, oh, and you said, Dylan, don't stop. And you, you you know. But, and you see the pain in her eyes it, though when he's saying Yeah, there's no things. ambiguity. There's yeah. no ambiguity yeah, like, at all. Yeah. But like it, when it, I'm talking about unreliable narration and ambiguities, that particular thing is incredibly clear. Well, I thought, well, I, it wasn't to me the first time because I watched, I didn't, I didn't watch it with captions the first time and you can't really hear what, what she's saying very well, and especially when you watch it again and when you have captions on, it's very clear. She says, Dylan, stop. And he tells her, she said, don't stop. Mm-hmm. It's classic. And I just thought the way that he kind of winds her up, like, yes, she goes in for the kiss, but then their whole conversation after that, he's such a manipulative little fuck. He's like winding her up about, oh, everybody's medium shitty. You're not a bad person. We're all bad people. Like he is like grooming her. Year. He's grooming her to fuck and then takes advantage and turns it into rape when she falls asleep. Really, really gross and very well played by that actor. This uh, back and forth exchange where he says, I have a very vivid memory of it. I, I think about it every day. Yeah. And she says, me too. Uh, just completely uh, opposite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, this one doesn't use a ton of music either. No, no, but it, and what it does is like that heavy classical music. Really bass heavy too, though. Like, I don't know, um, you know, maybe it was like the, the subwoofer, like when I was watching this, but like really, really bass heavy, like very ominous. So less like musical and more like kind of like upping some of the suspense that, that is in this movie. Uh, and kind of under some of those like insect scenes that you guys were talking about and like real close-ups of nature. Uh, they just have like this really subtle but still like very effective, real, real big low end. There are tonal things in, in horror movies that we can't even hear that they use in the sound design to make things suspenseful without any music. Both films this week, sound design 
play a big role in the film. And I, I really liked the, the I, I thought there were times when the soundtrack is almost overdone. You get that heavy, classical, almost operatic music, those scenes with the wolf and the scenes where up is down, the, the screen is split and you're like looking upside down. Like that music is coming in. It seems heavy to me at times. And again, reminded me of like Von Trier, or a, kind of a European vibe, I thought. Really reminded me of Sensor. Sensor. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The dick scene... Cat, I mean, you probably wouldn't have survived being on set because this took five 12 hour days to shoot. Just the, just <laughs> just, the dick just, scene that we're watching right now. Just the sequence that we're watching right now. Wow. What so stamina. five 12 hour days in broad daylight. <laughs> that is some stamina. It's, it's like a soft core porn for a minute. I, I was like, what? Like what a, a soft core. But it's this, more. They don't show you gigantic 12 inch hard dicks in soft core porn. They do. Yes, it's they not do. They do? Well, I guess no, I, they I, not soft core. I mean, like, I've it's like, never um, seen a porn. It's like rom- <laughs> Can you describe it for me? Can we talk about it? It's after? like a ro- like romantic porn. I mean, and I was it's like- eleven and three quarters. Romantic the most. porn. So yeah. Trent's Dave likes torture. Trent's <laughs> idea of romantic porn is rape revenge films. Like okay. no, I meant like um, the dick. I thought, my God, am, am I casting X videos? What's going on? I gotta. Look it's at that just thing. so beautiful. <laughs> I. I don't it really want to watch it with you guys in dick. here, to be honest. There's no getting around it. Um, I do have a question for future guests. This man. Oh, you want to you want to get him? I on don't the show? know. Maybe oh, well, we okay. maybe we talk to him okay. about it about right. Canada. <gasps> oh. oh my! Kaka! <laughs> I just folks. It's the ding dong, ding dong. The the and the twitching, <laughs> the twitching. <laughs> I've never seen that in a in a mainstream commercially released film. The dick twitches over and over again. <laughs> It's like there's all these like deep meanings to this movie and all these emotions, and then it just the dick just keeps coming up. I just if it was an it's ugly hot, dick, the I would be in the room appalled. Thought, well, now I and I thought it's to, bad dick though to, to get away. Bad from, guy dick though. Well, okay, but that but it's. I mean, you're adoring this penis I, that is. A, I didn't say I adored assailant. it. I just uh, to to get away from the dick for just a minute. Sorry, um, yep. The 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 idea of Miriam as this self-styled avenging angel who goes too far every time. She talks about that with her sister Greta. How throughout their life, uh, Miriam is always taking these extreme revenges that Greta wouldn't even want her to do, like getting even with bullies at school and always seeing herself as this crusader. And is that really for her, for the victim, or is that really for her? There's that scene where. She doesn't let her boyfriend kill the spider, and she insists instead to, to put a glass over it, like she's saving it. And then later on, the spider has just died under the glass. I thought that was an important scene. And then there is the scene where her sister Greta tells her, you live in your own reality. You believe your own reality and your own stories. You're just out there. That That's the kind of stuff that makes you question you know, what, what's going on in the movie. Well, it's interesting that you could look at I Spit on Your Grave in 78, which was, you know, initially reviewed and argued that it said nothing. Right. And then it was just this cheap movie come trash. Out right. Now, very modern film, and it's heralded as saying so much. Well-reviewed film, well-received. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, 80, 90% on Rotten That's Tomatoes. That's out of like 100 reviews. You look at I Spit on Your Grave, even now it's like 50-50. It's like 50%. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, as to why even today 
you have this like 50 50 viewpoint on i spit on your grave versus i think this. i think a lot and, of and that and is this, um, you would, you would I, i'm sorry I, I think you'd win an argument a lot quicker saying that this is saying something uh you'd have to do a lot more heavy lifting to argue i spit on your grave is saying even close to a right. similar a similar thing as this just to go back to the you know the whole spider thing which was interesting. So, you know, she put the, the glass on the spider and it eventually suffocated. And it's funny that she put the bag, you know, on Homeboy's oh, head, but right. then like ripped it off of him when he was about to die. That was weird. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, but then ended up killing him anyway. But then we circle back to the spider and we see that it's dead under there. So it's like a weird, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there was something going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, Wonder that also with like the the title like violation like what that could mean when it talks it or about, about the predatory animals thing and the hunted and the I don't know, I even know like the murderous instincts and stuff like that that it raises yep. all these questions about like what violation or multiple types of violation yes right a yeah, number I mean, she's trying to free the rabbit that he caught. That's right. In the trap, and she's That's horrified right. when her sister, her sister is, like, is skinning, skinning that it. rabbit. Yeah, I thought that the title asks you where, wh- you know, where are the violations, and I also thought that all the recurring scenes with the black wolf or the dog and the eating the rabbit, and Miriam is seeing that. I, I was a little bit confused, like who who is the wolf supposed to be here? Is it Dylan or is it Miriam? Is it both? There's that whole scene where where Miriam's on the run and she's she's got the wig on, she's disposing of the body. She gets a little and she confronts that couple in the parking lot who are fighting. Weird scene where she's really interjecting herself and going over the top on something that really wasn't violent. It wasn't really her business, I wouldn't say at that stage. Interesting stuff in that guy, the old guy in in that scene by the way is in that show uh, Shit's Creek. Isn't that show? It's in a ton of stuff. Oh, yeah, really? yeah. I, I forget his name, but yeah, he's he's probably the most noteworthy person. He's in the movie for th- three Minute minutes. Minute and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Both movies this week made me immediately, from their tone, look up if it was a man or a woman that directed and wrote yep. uh, these stories because I just it was like they're both really interesting. Like, where's this coming from? You know what I mean? Like, we well, know what it's about, <laughs> but where? What's leaning? the perspective of the yeah. maker? Well, yeah. Zarki that, that wrote and directed I Spit on Your Grave, he wrote the script under a woman's name. That's right. So the entire time they were filming, the cast and the crew kept asking, when is, what's her it's name? It's like Donna kind of, something. Kind of show up. Or, yeah. yeah, like Donna <laughs> Summers. It was something Summers, It was Summers, something I like think. that. It was very close to um, Donna Summers. Yeah. And then finally, towards the end of filming, he was like, she's going to be on set today. And they were like all excited. And then he was like, she's already here. And she's me. <laughs> she's me. Wow. <laughs> That's why they thought they were making something fucking cool. <laughs> right. 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 If a woman wrote it, then this must be good rape It's like revenge. Tootsie. Yeah. It's like that movie Tootsie. That's Just like Tootsie. <laughs> or Mrs. Doubtfire. I was just going to say that. <laughs> Next week. I am going to do a serial killer duo with this year's Holy Spider, which is on Netflix, I believe. I had Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, baby. Streaming on Shudder. Yeah. 